Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Asteroid mining is a staple of science fiction. But what happens if you actually wanted to achieve that in real life? Just how would you go about it? A lot of impediments are in the way. Plus, we find out about a space probe from Japan that has triumphed over adversity over many years, as well as an argument amongst astronomers about mysteries at our solar system's edge. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. And that has been the motto of researchers from the Japanese space agency, JAXA, who have finally, after a many difficult hours and experiences, managed to get the space probe, Akatsuki, which means dawn, into orbit around Venus. And this is a phenomenal achievement in the first place, but more phenomenal, in fact, because they actually had to do it twice before they finally got it to work. And what is an incredible story about survival, re-engineering, and changing of an entire mission brief in space remotely, and eventually succeeding in your goal despite large amounts of adversity. Akatsuki was launched in May 2010 as part of a suite of launches of Japanese Space Agency spacecraft, and the idea behind this was to actually cement Japan's place in the premier league of robotic space exploration. And the idea was to actually send something to study Venus. Now, Venus being the second planet in our solar system, yet shrouded in mysterious and deadly gases, has made something that's a mystery to be solved and studied. It's very deadly, and any probe that we sent to the surface often dies and gets shredded by the massive amounts of pressure, the corrosive acid rain, as well as the ungodly temperatures, which make it a hellscape to a very difficult place to study with any type of robotic mission. Akatsuki, or Dawn, was actually designed to do very, very close flybys over a long 30-hour period of the atmosphere of Venus and provide a detailed amount of scientific data, photography, and temperature and various other chemical readings. Now, it was going to have a uh, an ultraviolet imager, lightning and air glow cameras, and different, it's like 10 different types of cameras, some radio science, and it was really going to do a lot of very detailed analysis. Um, and they're actually hoping uh, to study through the clouds and peer through and spot active volcanoes beneath the surface and study some of the rocks and look at the radiation from them from space, which is quite incredible. And this all was all very well designed and was launched quite successfully in May. But that launch led to a travelling journey through the solar system towards Venus. And what they had to do what is called an orbital insertion. That is, when you're flying around your big route, you sort of sling yourself out into the unknowns of space and you want to capture yourself around the planet that you're orbiting. Any of you who played Kerbal will be very familiar with this. The idea was to get Akatsuki to actually manoeuvre itself and then get it slung towards Venus and then reposition itself to make sure it could be in a stable orbit around Venus. So instead of being flinging off into space, it sort of gets snared by the planet. Except that's very, very difficult. The plan was to, in December of 2010, undertake a burn, so a firing of its engines, to sort of push it from a very slingshotting orbit into one that's quite stable around the planet. Now, unfortunately, whilst the orbital manoeuvre was confirmed to have started on time, there was a blackout 
period where it went behind Venus, so they had to rely and wait to the probe to come back into to contact with it, except it didn't come into contact as planned. When they actually finally managed to talk to it again, when it emerged from behind Venus, it was found to be in safe mode and spin-stabilized, so it was spinning out of control and then sort of like tried to stabilize itself back into action. And what they ended up discovering later, to their horror, when it had gone behind Venus, hidden from Earth's view, and tried to push itself into the orbit around Venus, the main engine had practically exploded. Uh, and a certain percentage of it had basically just been jettisoned or stopped working in, into space. And that meant that it not fired correctly at all. And this was, you know, potentially the end of the space probe. But scientists at JAXA were not going to be deterred by such a setback. They placed the probe into hibernation safe mode and said all right well we'll try on the next time we go round uh, the next time our our pathway brings us back in towards this critical point where we can try and reinsert ourselves into the orbit of venus and in the meantime desperately try and figure out how on earth they could pull this off without having most of their main engine when they studied what was remained of the engine, they found that basically the entire throat of the main engine was gone and they wouldn't be able to recover that or, or fix that anyway. It's remote. You can't exactly go in and send a repair crew out to the middle of space. So instead, they had to try and use the altitude control thrusters, basically a small directional control thing, rockets on the side, and the reaction control system instead to, pro pro to propel the probe to change its orbit. Thankfully, it meant that they could also lighten some of the by jettisoning the fuel, some of the fuel for the engine that they could no longer use. And so these changes, and a redesign of the orbit they were trying to go in, so they couldn't do as nice a one as they wanted to do before. They had to come up with a new plan that was achievable. They managed to find a sweet spot that they could achieve using only minor rocket propelling adjustments, which is all they had left from these side thrusters and the RCS system. And they announced in February 2015 that they were aiming in 7th of December 2015 to get themselves back on track after five years. Now, they had to re-wake up the probe from sleep, <laughs> from its deep sleep, in fact, and when they did so, they found that some of the components were not actually functioning as well because they'd been damaged by the heat of the sun from its its strange orbit that it was sitting in. And it wasn't really designed to, to, to have a lifetime of that long in that kind of orbit. But... Thanks to the ingenuity of the JAXA engineers and scientists, they managed to get this little probe back into orbit. And this week, around December 10th, they announced that in fact, yes, after a successful firing path and a successful remaneuvering, they actually managed to get the Atsuki probe on track into its orbit around Venus safely. And it now can conduct valuable scientific research on Venus using its many, many different types of cameras Although from a slightly highly elliptical orbit, it's still nonetheless a great success and goes to show what can, can be achieved, even if you think all hope is lost. Science and engineering can find a way to make the best of what would otherwise have been a disastrous situation. And this is another great milestone in the success of the JAXA Space Agency. This is their second interplanetary mission, um, but the first to be successful, and they've learnt quite a lot from this, and will continue to do so into the future.
Now, before you read or hear several stories on the internet claiming to have found the mythical planet X lurking at the edge of the solar system, have a listen to this story and uh, bring yourself back down to Earth, so to speak. Now, two teams of astronomy researchers from Mexico or Sweden have caused a bit of a stir in the astronomical community by posting papers on the physics uh, web server about a very large object that they have detected and observed on the outer edges of the solar system. And the Swedish group have nicknamed this Na, after the Nordic god known for its swiftness. Now, this object was found using data from the ALMA, cluster of radio dishes in the Chilean mountains. And effectively... These big objects that they've been detected, some in the sky near Aquilae in the night sky, and the other adjacent to Alpha Centauri in the night sky, um, they've picked up this faint glow, They'd moni- and they're monitoring it to see what it actually is. When they picked up this glow, they were also finding that it moved relative to the stars behind them, which would mean it'd be actually be quite close, rather than something far away. And it might be orbiting our sun. However, not really a large amount of evidence uh, has been collected about these and they're not really sure exactly what they are either because we can't get enough data to study them however both teams have suggested there is enough data to rule them out as being an ordinary star now it's likely that there needs to be further detailed study of this which astronomers are likely to do now that they know two locations to go look at but they swedish group in particular have been very hesitant to make sure that people don't misinterpret this as a sign of some mythical doomsday star like Nemesis or uh, Planet X lurking in our Cupia belt or far edges of our solar system. There's no data to suggest it at this moment, but it's likely that it could be a large asteroid, but it's also equally as likely at this point um, that they're merely illusions or random blips on the actual data itself that seem to take the shape of a very far away object. It's caused a very big stir. In the, in the scientific and astronomical community. And it's always good to make sure that we have hard evidence and research to, before we jump to conclusions. Now, if you found anything that seems to claim to find a mysterious Bunnet X or something that seems to be good, too good to be true, it's always a good sign to check with what other things. Look at the data again. Maybe take another look. Now, if you've watched any science fiction movies, like, let's say, Star Wars, or played any science games or read any science fiction books, one of the staples is the huge asteroid belts in The Empire Strikes Back in Star Wars, for example. They hide amongst them. And again, later on in uh, Episode 2 as well of Star Wars. Those aren't really necessarily very actually accurate descriptions of what an asteroid belt looks like. Generally, they're actually the belt, so to speak. There's, you know thousands, hundreds of thousands of kilometers between each asteroid. They're not like next to each other. That's not really an asteroid belt is like, at least that's not what ours is like anyway. But the concept of asteroid mining has a certain soft spot in everyone's hearts in the science fiction community. It's where people actually like to imagine the futures of space industry, mining the asteroids and and getting all the rare minerals from them or water or gases and bringing them back to Earth for riches, fame and glory. Now, this has always been something that's been like held out as the way to get space industry actually off the ground, so to speak. You know, providing a financial incentive to get people up there, so not just a scientific one. 
And a recent piece of legislation signed by President Barack Obama of the United States at the end of November has actually allowed for commercial extraction of minerals and other materials, including water, from asteroids and the moon. The US Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act of 2015 says that any materials American individuals or companies find on an asteroid or moon is theirs to keep and do with as they please. Now, it's been a a long-running sort of convention that space has been shared for all, that there's no specific ownership of any sort of spot in space. If someone tries to sell you you a star, obviously that's misleading. And this was done and really uh, popularised in the Cold War to make sure that Russia or the America couldn't lay claim to space. And so we sort of said, oh, that space is for science and science alone. However, that sort of disincentivised commercial activity in space, which at this point the United States is actually trying to encourage. In fact... They're actually trying to mimic what was done in the 19th century, where the United States' western frontier was declared in a similar way, which led to the California gold rush of 1849. So they're trying to recapture some of that same momentum and build a pioneering economic exploration of space, rather than relying purely on government investment. Now, there are some large companies who are still studying, obviously, their options for this, And there's a few startups as well, such as Planetary Resources, which is launched in 2012 by Google co-founder Larry Page. The first space prospecting missions would be launched as early as 2017, various company representatives say, and people are aiming to try and extract metals as early as 2020. Deep Space Industries, which is one of the these are startup companies in this field, is planning to deploy a 25 to 32 kilogram mini satellite around some asteroids to better prospect and identify which ones are there to assess their resources and potentially bring back samples. Other companies, such as Planetary Research, have already picked out their asteroids using space telescopes and that they placed in orbit last year. And then they're now looking to launch a small exploration satellite next year. They estimate that the new space gold rush could see several billion dollars over the next 10 to 15 years, but there's a lot of investment needed now to actually even figure out how to do it. But now that this act of government actually gives companies and individuals confidence that if they actually do manage to get to space and get their hands on some rich or rare metals or otherwise, it's actually theirs to keep and sell. So hopefully now we may see some more action in space and less reliance on space agencies like the ESA, NASA, JAXA, and the various other space groups across the world, and more work from private companies. And hopefully one day our our science fiction future is more likely to occur. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. This week we heard about asteroid mining in the future, mysterious objects potentially or not really lurking on the edge of our solar system, as well as the little space probe from Japan that could. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.